You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 1 says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hanus. They were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be in help nor profit, but a shame and also a reproach. The burden of the beasts of the south into the land of trouble and anguish, from whence come the young and old lion, the viper and fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Their strength is to sit still. Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Wherefore thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay thereon. Therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. And he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it assured to take fire from the hearth or to take water withal out of the pit. For thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. But ye said, No, for we will flee upon horses. Therefore shall ye flee. And we will ride upon the swift. Therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, at the rebuke of five shall ye flee, till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain and as an ensign on a hill. And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at, at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore. But thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand, and when ye turn to the left. Father, 
such a powerful passage of Scripture that I know many of us have read before and read over before, maybe not understanding exactly what it means, and especially what it means for us today. Help me, Lord, to, to explain this passage, but Father, I trust that your Holy Spirit will illuminate the passage. I will do my best to speak to the minds of men. Uh, Father, I am trusting that you will speak to the hearts of men. Lord, I am nobody, I am nothing, and I know that I am not deserving to be used. But for your sake and for the sake of your word, would you please use me this morning and do not uh, allow me to say anything that I should not say. I trust in your promise, Lord, that your word will not return void. Whoever is listening to this message, let it be a help. And we ask this in your name. Amen. I usually take time to ease into my messages with some sort of introduction. But for sake of time this morning, we are just going to jump right into it. At the time of this passage, the nation of Israel is facing an imminent invasion by the armies of Assyria. And much of the book of Isaiah, and certainly chapters 30 and 31, are highlighting Israel's reaction to this invasion. And then also it is going to bring out God's response to Israel's reaction. Now we don't have to read any more than verses 1 and 2 of chapter, chapter 30 to get an idea of what is going on right now. Upon learning of this Assyrian invasion, Israel's reaction is to send ambassadors to Egypt and seek to make an alliance with them. Now my question that I have to this reaction of Israel, the question that I have to this passage, is what are God's people doing relying on Egypt? Why are they going to seek deliverance from the very place that God had delivered them from? Why do they believe that they would find freedom through the land that had once held them in bondage? May I remind us today that Egypt in the Bible is a symbol of the world. It does not take much to see the similarities between Egypt and the world today. Egypt is the place that advertised its wealth, its pleasure, its prosperity, and its strength. It's the place that oppressed and enslaved God's people. The place that did everything it could to stop God's people from serving and worshiping God. The place that only supernatural deliverance could bring escape from its grasp. And yet, it is the place, for some strange reason, that God's people kept running back to whenever they got in trouble. In Exodus chapter 14, we just saw a couple weeks ago, we see deliverance from Egypt and they cross over the Red Sea and all of the Egyptian army is destroyed. In Exodus chapter 15, the very next chapter, they sing, they say, the Lord is God, he's our God, he's the one that delivered us. And in Exodus chapter 16, there's no food. And what do they start saying? I wish we were back in Egypt. And I see the same tendencies today that these Israelites had back then. My question that applies to these Israelites in Isaiah chapter 30, can time travel to today and be just as fitting? Why, in times of trouble, do people, why do God's people choose to rely on the world for help? My message is simple this morning. Rely on God. 
Trust in God. Trust in Him during times of trouble. God, help us. Or can I use the words that, that Isaiah uses in verse, number, in verse number one of chapter 30? Woe unto us. When we choose to take counsel of the world and not the counsel of God, when we cover with a covering or we seek for protection, but not the protection of God, I have no doubt this morning, no doubt in my mind whatsoever, that this coronavirus, this suffering of the global economy, this halting of work and play, the questions of cures and mandates by government are nothing less than God's hand of punishment upon the sins of humanity. What else can we expect? When good is called evil and evil is called good, when unborn children are being murdered by the millions, when homosexuality is rampant, when churches across the world were being neglected long before our governments told us that we could not meet with each other, when God has been voted out of our schools, when instead of Jesus being the lifeline of the world, he's been made the punchline, do we expect God to sit by and watch as his son is trodden under the feet of the world? One of the first promises that God made was my spirit shall not always strive with man. And I'm here to remind us this morning, when God sends punishment for sin, the ones who will find direction, the ones who will find rest, the ones who will find deliverance and victory are only those who turn from their sin and rely on the Lord. And surely, of all of the people who should be taking the lead in this matter, it should be God's people. It should be you and I. For God's people to walk, to go down into Egypt and not ask God what to do in prayer, to rely on the strength of Pharaoh, to trust in the shadow of Egypt? No. No, no, a thousand times no. Rely on God. Trust in Him. We have no reason to rely on the world. Why are we going to turn to a place that God saved us from? Why are we going to look for deliverance to a place God delivered us out of? Did you notice? Twice in the verses that we read, when God speaks of this reaction, when God speaks of this decision of his people to seek to the world instead of him, he doesn't even dignify it by calling it foolish. He doesn't dignify it by calling it uh, understandable, anything. You know what he calls it? He, he calls it pure rebellion. Twice he says rebellion is what caused this. To speak of rebellion speaks about being on the opposite side. I can understand a child of the world seeking to the world for, for deliverance. I can understand a child of the world relying on the world. But for a child of God to do so, God says you're, you're switching sides. That's not what you're supposed to do. Woe to the rebellious children in verse number one and then again in verse nine. This is a rebellious people. Lying children. How are they lying? Because they had made a covenant with God that he was going to be theirs. That he was going to be their God. That they were going to trust in him and in nobody else. He says, you're lying to me. You've lied to me. You are a rebellious people. You're lying children. Children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Now this in Isaiah chapter 30 is all prophecy. 
This is Isaiah's warning to these people. If you continue down this path that you are going, this is what is going to happen. If you continue down this path of rebellion, you're going to break your covenant with God. You are going to be lying to him and you are going to reject God's word. Look at what happens in verse number 10. Which say to the seers, see not. To the, prophets, to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Isaiah surely, as soon as he heard this message from the Lord, stood up to them and told them what God had said. Don't go this way. Don't rely on Egypt. Don't seek to them. Seek to the Lord. And they look back at him and say, don't tell us that. Isaiah, why don't you tell us what we want to hear? not what we need to hear. Why don't you speak unto us smooth things? Tell us that everything is going to be okay. And listen to me this morning. It will not be okay when we rely on the world and not God. We cannot win when we switch sides on God. And Isaiah stood as many men are standing today and proclaim the truth and preach God's word. And instead of listening and obeying to God's word, these people said, get out of the way. Turn, turn aside, in, in verse 11 they said, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Now maybe they never said this with their mouths, but they certainly said this with their actions. By running into the arms of the world, and still today we see people everywhere who say with their mouth that they trust in the Lord, who say with their mouth that they are a Christian and that God is their everything, and then they turn around and the next action and they run to the world for deliverance. No, rely on God. Trust in God. What sense does it make to rely on creation when we can rely on the creator? The result of that choice will always be the same. Look in verse three. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hanus. They were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be, uh, nor be in help nor profit, but a shame, and also a reproach. The burden of the beasts of the south into the land of trouble and anguish, from whence come the young and old lion, the viper and fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Isaiah has cried concerning this. Their strength is to sit still. You know what these verses tell me? You can find a lot of things in the world. You can find a lot of things in Egypt, but you will never find what you're looking for, and you will certainly not find deliverance. We will go to Egypt looking for strength, and instead we'll find shame. We'll go to Egypt looking for a shadow to hide under, but instead we'll find confusion and darkness. Isaiah is prophesying what this trip to Egypt is going to look like. He tells his people, okay, if you're going to go down to Egypt, this is what it's going to look like. You're going to send your princes. You're going to send the, the, the royalty of Egypt to Zoan and Hanus. These were royal cities of Egypt. And you're going to seek for an alliance. And you're going to go with this caravan of treasures to buy Egypt's favor. And the entire way, all you're going to run into is trouble. 
You'll be attacked by lions. You'll be attacked by snakes. Your beasts are going to be burdened down with those gifts. The trip is going to be tough. It's going to be rough. It's going to be stressful. And when you finally reach Egypt, here's what's going to happen. They're going to gladly accept your gifts, but the help they give you isn't going to mean a thing. It's not going to bring any profit. It won't bring any deliverance whatsoever. Isaiah says in chapter, in verse 7, I cried to them concerning this. I tried to warn them that that was going to happen. You cannot find deliverance in the world. You would be better off just sitting still. And isn't that what God first told his people when he was first delivering them from Egypt and they found themselves with the Red Sea in front of them, the Egyptian army behind them, and mountains on either side. God said, fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. God echoes this message again in verse 15. He says, for thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. But ye said, no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore shall ye flee. And we will ride upon the swift. Therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. And, and here's what I wrote in the, in the margin. The context of that second phrase, we will ride upon the swift. Therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. What God is saying, it doesn't matter how fast you run. It doesn't matter how far you run. Something is always going to be faster. Something will always be able to track you down. Verse 17, 1,000 shall flee at the rebuke of one. At the rebuke of five shall ye flee till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain and as an ensign or a flag on a hill, like a, like a single flag left on the top of a hill that an army, a fleeing army, has left behind. What I see in these verses here in 15, 16, and 17, relying on Egypt is not only rebellious, it's futile, it's pointless, it's senseless, it doesn't bring us any profit. No profit comes of it, no deliverance comes from the world. And what are these Israelites trying to run from? They're trying to run from God's punishment. And first they go to Egypt and then they're going to find out that Egypt brings no profit but instead of turning to God, instead of resting in God, they say, well, we'll just run and we'll, we'll flee from God's punishment. And he says, no, 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 that's not how it works. It doesn't matter how fast you run, my punishment will always be faster. It doesn't matter how far you run, there is nowhere that you can hide from my punishment. Turn to God. Rely on God. Trust in God. Look in verse 15. Only turning to God. Only resting in God. Only quietness in God. Only confidence in God can bring strength in times of trouble. Why is turning to God so often our last resort rather than our first reaction? Why do we try everything to escape our punishment rather than admitting our punishment is just and deserved? I'm trying to teach my kids right now what I had to learn the hard way when I was growing up. Taking your punishment is a lot easier than running from it. I tried hiding the rod of correction a couple times from my dad, and what I noticed is that the rod of correction, when hidden, upgrades to a more intimidating rod of correction. And I'm not going to name one of, the, one of the children that we're dealing with right now, uh, who refuses to take her punishment. Uh, but we try to tell her, listen, when you do not take your punishment, it only makes it more difficult. 
and only makes it harder on yourself. So what is happening right now? I believe that God's punishment is coming down upon this world. I believe that God has gotten our attention to turn us to him during this time so that we can rely on him, trust in him, and, and look to him more than we have ever looked to him before. And we have to stop pointing the finger at everybody else. Like Adam and Eve, when Eve said, oh, when Adam said, oh, it's the woman that you gave to me. And then Eve, Eve said, no, it's, it's the serpent that came up to me and beguiled me. We have to stop pointing our finger like King Saul. It was the people that told me to do this with the Amalekites. We have to instead say, it's me. It's me. I'm the sinner. I'm the one that deserves punishment. This is not the time, church. This is not the time, ladies and gentlemen, to compare our sin to the sins of others and say, well, at least we're not as bad as them. At least we're not doing that. This is not the time to argue like I have seen some do recently that what we are experiencing right now is collateral damage. As if to say that God has brought his punishment down upon the world and it just so happened to spill over to God's people as well. All have sinned, the Bible says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have to understand a very hard truth this morning. If you and I stood before God right now and said, God, punish the sinners of the world. Punish sin of mankind. He would point right back to you and me and ask if we were ready for our punishment. You and I are a part of this. All of us are deserving of punishment. I, I love what Jeremiah says when he writes in Lamentation chapter 3. After the Babylonian captivity has come down and Jerusalem has been laid waste. And of all the people there in Jerusalem who stood and who wanted to do what's right, it was Jeremiah. And this punishment has come down. And when it comes down, Jeremiah doesn't look back at the people and say, I told you so. He doesn't look back at them and say, this is your fault and not mine. Listen to what he says in Lamentation chapter 3 verse 37. Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, when the Lord commandeth it not? Out of the mouth of the Most High proceedeth not evil and good? And then look at what he asks. Wherefore doth a living man complain? A man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Jeremiah says, I'm going to take the first step. I'm not going to look around and try to blame everybody else. Everything that is happening is because of God. There is no other person that says something will come to pass and it comes to pass unless the Lord lets it happen. And can the Lord not bring evil and punishment just like he brings good and blessing upon the sin of mankind? Uh, just like he brings good and blessing upon mankind, can he not bring evil and punishment upon our sin? And he says, we're, we're alive today. The fact that we are alive today is proof of God's mercy. Wherefore does any man who is alive today have any reason to complain? Because God is punishing us for our sins? No, let us search and try our ways and turn to him. We don't deserve freedom. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve God's mercy and grace. It would not be mercy and grace if we deserved it. All we deserve is hell. And that's never easy to hear. But it's not my calling to preach smooth things. It's my calling to preach the truth. And the truth is, 
relying on the world rather than God is nothing short of pure rebellion. The truth is relying on the world is futile, pointless, senseless. The world will never bring deliverance during this time. Why are we looking to the government for deliverance right now? It's not going to come from there. Why are we looking to a stimulus check? It's not going to come from there. Why are we looking to businesses opening back up again or the stock market? Why are we looking at the NASDAQ and the Dow and, and the Dow Jones and all of those different things and the S&P 500 more than we are looking to God's word right now? Deliverance isn't coming from that. Deliverance will come when we turn to the Lord, when we pray to him, when we seek his word and when he brings out truth and it does not match our hearts, we change our hearts to match the truth. That is where deliverance comes from. When we seek for, to the world, when we seek to Egypt for our deliverance, all we're going to find is shame. All we're going to find is reproach and confusion. And if they do help, it's help that brings no spiritual profit, no profit to eternity. The Bible says God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. Now let me say this this morning. I'm not preaching this message because I have seen this particular attitude in our church. I'm preaching this message as a reminder to all Christians that we have no reason, we have no business relying on the world during this time rather than relying on God. Even when God brings punishment, he brings that punishment so that we will turn to him. So when we instead turn away from him and run from him and run to the world, we're missing the point. We're missing the lesson that he is trying to teach. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 12 says. We have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they, the fathers of our flesh, Verily, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure. Have you ever had a boss before just chew you up one side and down the other because you made a mistake? Why is he doing that? Well, because his business is suffering. His, his department is suffering. But still, when you look back at that man who cares enough about his business and who cares enough about you as, as an employee to tell you, don't make this mistake again, now go and fix it, we respect those people. We understand that's his job. That is what he is supposed to do. How much more should we respect and fear the Lord and reverence the Lord when he comes to us because he is not coming to us to try to bring benefit to his business or benefit to himself. He's doing it to bring benefit to you and I. He does it for our profit, the Bible says, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Nobody likes punishment. It's never easy. Taking your punishment is difficult because it's not fun. And the Bible brings that out. It's not joyous, it's grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised by. In other words, those that learn their lesson. Those that understand why the punishment has come down and what we need to change so that that punishment doesn't have to come down again. For those who have heard people recently, because a lot of people ask during times like these, and some of them do so in a spiteful way, some of them do, that, do it in a blasphemous way, other people do it just because they're confused and they don't understand what's happening. 
Many people ask during times like these, where is God? Where is God? I don't see him. People are dying and, and this virus is spreading and, and the government doesn't seem to know what to do. Where is God during this time? I'll tell you. The answer is in verse 18 of chapter 30 of Isaiah. He's waiting. That's where God is right now. He is waiting. Therefore, the Lord will wait. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for his people to rely on him. He's waiting for people to turn to him so that he can be gracious. He's waiting for us to confess our sins so that he can have mercy. What does the Bible say? If the world, no. If the government, no. If the educational institutions, no. If politics, no. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. It comes down to you and I. And I love when the Bible says, I will be merciful unto you, that he may have mercy upon you if you would just turn to him. Just look at how merciful God is. He doesn't just say, return to me and I will forgive. He says, return to me and I will bless. In verse 19, he says, I'll wipe away your tears. I'll answer your prayers. Verse 20, even though punishment may still be coming down, even though I may bring the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, I'll also bring direction. I'll bring teachers to show you how you can navigate through it all. And by the way, there is no greater teacher than this book right here. We are not the only people who have ever gone through a time of punishment. Read the book of Job. Read the Psalms, read about, uh, read about Peter and, and some of the uh, great saints of the New Testament. We're not the only people who have ever gone through this. This is our greatest teacher right now. And yes, even though there is punishment coming down upon the sins of the world, and we are a part of that, God has been so gracious to give us his word. Why would we not turn to it right now? Why would we not be reading it more than we ever have? And God help us if after this all is lifted, we neglect this book again. Every lesson that we learn right now in the valley should be taken, to, uh, taken with us to the mountaintops and taken with us to the next valley and the next valley so that we can continue going forward. Listen, relying on God, what verse uh, 19 tells me and verse, what verse 20 especially tells me, that the Lord give you the bread of adversity, the water of affliction, yet he's going to bring direction. You know what that tells me? Relying on God doesn't negate us or doesn't exempt us, rather, from problems. It doesn't remove us from all of our problems, but it does bring peace in our problems. It doesn't remove every valley, but it does bring direction in the valleys. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So many right now are stumbling in the dark, stumbling in confusion, trying to find where to go and what to do. That doesn't happen when you rely on God. That only happens when you rely on the world. That is, God is not the author of confusion. That confusion that comes from the world is lost when you rely on God. In verse 21, he says, thine, eyes, thine ear shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way. Go this way. Walk this way. In verse 23, he says, I'll provide for you. When you rely on me, I'll provide for you during the hard times, during the times of punishment and trouble. In verse number 24, I'll provide for your possessions. Verse 25, I'll make barren places 
bountiful. Verse number 26, I'll bring light and healing. And I love what he sneaks in there in verse number 22. He says, when you rely on me, you will realize how ridiculous, how pointless, how frustrating it has been to rely on the world. You'll take all of those idols, all of those symbols of the world, and you'll cast them away. Have you ever heard the saying, it's times like these that separate the men from the boys? I remember my little league coach always telling me that. It's times like these that separate the men from the boys. Maybe it was you know, the bottom of the ninth inning, a 3-2 count, and uh, we, were, we were down. Let's put it in a more biblical way. It's times like these, what we're going through right now. Times of fear, times of trouble, times of punishment, whatever you would like to call it. It's times like these that separate those that will rely on the world and those that will rely on God. And you can always tell the difference. You can always tell the difference between the two. One is marked by shame. The other is marked by grace. One is marked by confusion. The other is marked by direction. One is marked by worry. The other is marked by peace. One is marked by fear and the other by faith. One will be in bondage to a world that can never deliver and the other will be at rest in the arms of a savior that can never fail. What's your choice this morning? As this goes on more and more and more and, and more uh, news comes out that brings confusion and fear and doubt, don't worry about that. Rely on God. Has God changed? I am the Lord. I change not, he says in Malachi. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he's never failed before. I don't believe this is going to be the first time he fails. Rely on him. Trust in him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says, Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. In Psalm 118.8, one of my favorite verses, and I'm sure it is one of yours, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I don't know everything that is happening right now. I don't know the solution to it all. But God does. So we rely on him. Israel ignores Isaiah chapter 30. And they do seek to go down to Egypt. And Assyria still comes. And read in Isaiah chapter 36, verse 6, Sennacherib, the, the king of Assyria, he sends a message. <clears throat> and even that wicked heathen king says something to God's people about relying on Egypt. He says, you're relying on Egypt. That's like leaning your weight on a broken reed. I want you to imagine a cane that has been broken off and there's a sharp end at the top. He said, if you put your weight on that, it's just going to pierce you through. And that is exactly what happens when we rely on the world. We try to put our weight on it, and instead of it holding our weight, it pierces us through with many sorrows. Instead, we lean on the everlasting arms. We rely on God. We trust in Him. And that is what will see us through. We must confess our sin. We must say, search me, Lord. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep me from presumptuous sins. We have to take that step. 
if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. And then we rely on him through it all, no matter how long it takes. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.